Hello, I'm Leah Potter, a news editor at The Hatchet. This is The Hatchet's podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, a weekly podcast from the second oldest newspaper in D.C. covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. Meredith Roten is out of town this week, but for now I'm here with Kayla Harris, an assistant news editor at The Hatchet, to talk about dining affordability. Walk me through how much you're paying day to day, what the average student is going to be paying for food. Per semester, each each level of a student, so freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, has a different amount based on the dining plan, and these are students that are living in dorms on campus and residence halls. So students who live off campus aren't on the dining plans. For freshmen, it works out to be about $18 a day. For sophomores, it's about 12 juniors about 10 and then seniors is like $5.50. These students will go and they'll spend their money at the vendors around campus on their G Worlds. So a coffee at Starbucks could be the price, uh, could cost the same amount as the senior's entire budget for the day. And for freshmen, they can go buy a salad at Sweetgreen and still have a couple dollars left over. It really just depends where you're spending your money each day and how you're budgeting. For upperclassmen who have lower budgets, they can go food shopping, they can go grocery shopping, and usually they'll have kitchens so they can cook more food than a freshman or sophomore would be able to. Okay, so you wouldn't necessarily be able to have three complete meals like on this budget? No, absolutely not. And what about looking at vendors too? Like, Is the cost an issue for students, the selection available? Is that what's presenting an issue with budgeting? Yeah, it really depends on the the vendor that you're looking at. So like I was mentioning earlier, with Sweetgreen, you could go and you buy a salad for like $10, $12, and that can be your entire budget for the day. Even the university's meal deal initiatives, which offer $6 breakfast, $8 lunches, and $10 dinners, sometimes that's the entire budget that a student has for the day. So a junior who has $10 to spend for a day could go get a meal deal dinner, and then that would be the entire amount that they have to spend that day. It also depends on the options that you're looking at. So different vendors offer different types of food, whether it's healthy, whether it's not healthy. Typically, when you're going and to a sweet green or a chopped or somewhere where you think of, or a beef steak that you think of as healthier, as opposed to like a Chick-fil-A or a Wise Guys pizza, those healthier options cost more. And so then the, the quality that's of food that students have to choose from is suffering. What were students saying when you were asking them about these issues? The first thing that we did to source for the story was we posted in the Facebook groups to ask students if they had run out of dining dollars and then if they had that we could interview them for the story. And one student commented on that Facebook post and was like, what do you mean like, have you run out of dining dollars? I thought that this was a normal thing that everyone did. And so it's uh, it's kind of a common thing that students are running out of dining dollars, that the amounts that they're being afforded, even for freshmen sometimes who have the most amount of money are just running out, that they're not budgeting properly or that they just don't have enough money to spend on the dining programs um, or with the dining plans. And so basically everyone was saying that this is a common occurrence. I'm sure you know someone who's run out of dining dollars. Everyone, if they haven't done it themselves, they definitely know someone who has. Um, so this is a common occurrence and it's something that has happened to a lot of people on campus. We typically don't think of GWs having issues like food insecurity or managing money as being an issue just because we have rather an affluent culture, but what did your reporting show you to kind of contradict this narrative? It really depends on the student. Some students, it doesn't matter if they spend $30 a day because they can ask their parents to send them money and they will. For other students, that's that's not necessarily the case and they can't just phone home or they work a couple jobs and they can't afford to spend that extra money on the food. Also, we recently opened up the store on campus. This was an initiative that opened last year and this came, and this year became a student organization. 
and the store is GW's food pantry. Food pantries at universities have been opening up across the country. It's it's not something that's unique to GW. Food insecurity is starting to become a larger recognized issue on campuses and students who you may not even realize it are just skipping meals or are just um, budgeting like really tightly, like eating terrible food like ramen three times a day to try to save money. And this would be something that could potentially impact their day-to-day lives and even academic performance. Yeah, so when we were talking to experts, uh, a lot of the things that they were saying is, well, obviously there's there's the health concern. If you're not eating, if you're not eating well, um, you're just not going to be well. You're not going to be healthy. Um, and then also it can transfer into other parts of your life. So you're not going to be performing as well academically if you're not eating well. And you're not going to be sleeping if you're not eating well. And um, there are just a lot of concerns that come with food insecurity. And there's kind of like a stigma around it where a lot of students just don't want to talk about it. And so this is kind of something that we've seen not only at GW, but at a lot of universities where students just don't have enough money and they don't want to talk about it because they don't want to be like the poor kid who can't afford to eat. I spoke with Kevin McClure, an assistant professor of higher education at the University of North Carolina Wilmington, who talked about how GW's dining plan was unique and he hasn't really seen it anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult for me to not imagine that there are a group of students for whom this this can present real challenges. So I'm thinking in particular of students that don't have a ton of cash reserves that they can fall back on in the event that they spend more than their allotment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm guessing that you've got a fair number of students at GW where they say, oh, okay, I went over my $12 today or over what I would be spending in a week, but nevertheless, I've got money available to me from my parents or whatever it may be that I can fall back on. Right. Um, so I can see that there there is going to be a subset of students where this is an issue. Um, I think you also couple that, obviously, with, you know, expenses at GW – expenses at GW being in a very expensive city. Mm-hmm. And before long, it's it's quite easy for me to see how this could make food insecurity an issue. Something that might be a little bit before some of our time is J Street Dining um, in the Marvin Center. So was that something that with it being removed, was impacting students' day-to-day budgeting for food? So yes and no. So J Street operated very similar to the way that Pelham, the Mount Vernon campus's dining hall, operated uh, or operates now. It operated in a very similar way where students were purchasing food and that food would be charged by weight. And so one of the biggest reasons why students were pushing to eliminate J Street was because you could spend the exact same money amount at J Street that you were spending at a vendor around campus um, and be getting uh, better quality food at those other vendors. The ideal situation in talking with experts and that sort of thing, the ideal situation would be to have a dining hall that operated based on swipes, where students can buy a certain amount of swipes at the beginning of the year. They'd go in, they'd be able to eat this food, and then they'd be able to leave. Well, thank you, Kayla, for coming on this week and telling us about dining affordability. I'll see you back in the newsroom. Liz Conacher is back this week, and she's here to talk with me about GW Buzz. Thanks for coming back, Liz. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so GW Buzz is the research team responsible for taking care of GW's own apiary. So it sits on top of Lisner Hall, um, which is one of the law school buildings, and it's just this small apiary. It provides honey for uh, some of the restaurants around DC, 
And it's also a way that students get research experience. Like the head beekeeper is a junior, an undergraduate junior right now. And so um, it's just something that students can do to um, get that research experience. So the bees that we see around the garbage cans and around the food trucks, are they coming from a top listener as well? Yep, that's where they're all coming from. They all reside up on top of Lisner Hall um, in those apiaries that the students take care of. And what's happening with the bees right now? Are there any points of concern? Well, there are a couple points of concern because last month, two of the hives actually collapsed, which means that um, suddenly the bees disappear and there aren't that many like dead bees around the apiary, so you know it wasn't a wasp or something like that. But um, the bees stop sustaining their colony, and it's one of those unexplained phenomena that happens uh, to bees, and so they've been seeing that up in our apiary as well. In an urban setting, what are sort of the main threats to bees? So the main threats are pesticides. There are these pesticides that you can get over the counter called neonicotinoids, and basically those are made of the same compounds as nicotine, like what you find in cigarettes, and those are really harmful to the bees. Um, it changes their behavior, it makes them get lost and not be able to find their colony, which could explain a lot of hive collapses. So you can buy that over the counter and use that to sustain your own garden. And in an urban setting where there aren't a lot of food sources for bees, it's very easy for them to get stuck in that trap and consume too many of those neonicotinoids and then not be able to get home. And then additionally, some of the hives um, up on top of Lisner have varroa mites, which are like tiny pests for bees, and they're like ticks, but the size of a baseball glove on a bee. Oh, no. So it's um, really bad. It really hurts them. It drains them of all their energy, and it sucks out a lot of their nutrients. And so a lot of hives that are infested with varroa mites have trouble sustaining themselves. So uh, the researchers looking at the beehives up on top of Lisner have really tried to find ways to uh, get rid of the varroa mites on the bees. Well, thanks, Liz, for coming back on the podcast, and I hope to have you on again next week. Our culture editor, Liz Provincher, is back this week to tell us about the best pies around the D.C. area. So what pies did you taste? One of the first ones that we tried was Kramer Books and Afterwards, which is like a tiny cafe um, in the back of a DuPont Circle bookstore, and they have a huge pie menu. It's like when you walk in, you can see all the slices in a glass case. And they have more classic flavors, so things like blueberry, peach cobbler, key lime pie, um, stuff like that. But I'd say the best one definitely is the apple crumb pie. What did the apple crumb pie have in it? Like, why was it good? So it's like equal parts of the apple and then like the buttery like crumb filling on the top so it has like brown sugar and cinnamon and it's just really sweet and then they also have a cinnamon ice cream that they make there that they can you can have that with the pie which is that sounds really good yeah what else did you get to sample this week we decided to kind of juxtapose those like classic pies with um another place that kind of does like a twist on traditional so we went to dangerously delicious pies which has a location in chinatown another one on h street in northeast dc and then a baltimore location Um, but we went to the chinatown one to try out their baltimore bomb pie and then also a savory pie called the hot rod potato what is in the Baltimore bomb pie? So the Baltimore bomb pie is, it's like a 
chess pie, which is like a traditional Southern kind of pie. And then it has layers of burger cookies, which are really popular in Baltimore. They're like kind of like a cake-like consistency of a cookie and they're coated in this like thick chocolate fudge. And between the two pies that you tasted there, which one was your favorite? I think I actually liked the savory option we tried the best. It was uh, the hot rod potato and it was this thick, really flaky braided crust and it was filled to the brim with pieces of baked potato and onions and then it had all this like melted cheese sauce all holding it together it was really good that sounds really good yeah Yeah. then another place that we tried that was a little bit different than um, a classic slice of pie was pie sisters which is on m street a little bit further from campus in georgetown but it's a tiny little shop that really feels like a home kitchen it has that like warm vibe there was even one of the employees toddlers was like running around the store as they worked and they have classic things but then they also have more out-of-the-box flavors so things like cookies and cream uh, like cream-based pie and then also a bourbon chocolate pecan if you had to eat only sweet pies or only savory pies for the rest (laughs) of your life which one would you choose definitely sweet pies same (laughs) so seeing as thanksgiving is fast approaching which pie would you recommend I think I would recommend the apple crumb. It's pretty classic, so especially if you're bringing it to, like, a large group of people, I think everyone can enjoy it, but it is, like, a little bit of a twist because it has a lot of that crumb filling. Well, thanks, Liz, for coming back on this week. I'm excited to try some new pies. Yeah, thanks, Leah. Have a good Thanksgiving. I hope you have some delicious pie. Oh, thanks. (laughs) You too. That's all for this week. Thank you for tuning in to hear all the news happening in Foggy Bottom and around GW. You'll hear from us next week with Getting to the Bottom of It. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Leah Potter and Meredith Roten and featuring culture editor Liz Preventure. This podcast is produced by managing editor Tyler Loveless, assistant video editor Ariana Dunham, and assistant copy editor Emma Tyrell. Music was produced by Olk Studio. Special thanks this week to Liz Conacher and Kayla Harris for joining us on Getting to the Bottom of It. See you next week.